Welcome, everybody, and I'm Patty Murphy, and I'm here with James Shepard, CEO of CC Sales Pro. I know everybody knows James. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> but I just wanted to officially introduce you. Right, as our, as our guest speaker today. That's right, and um, I'm really excited about this today because uh, James is going to talk to us about Instant Quote Tool and uh, you know some of the changes and the upgrades that have been going on there. But if you don't mind, James, I'd really like to start out with, I mean, one of the first things I learned when I got into this business was everything is about statement analysis. Right. You know, everything starts and finishes with statement right. analysis. So maybe if you could kind of give us a little background on how, you know, what led you to, to create this tool? Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, so it's really interesting, and, and I'm excited to share this story because, you know, when I got into the industry, I mean, just like a lot of people listening, um, I had no idea what I was doing. Right. You know, uh, I got in, somebody found me on Career Builder and, and invited me to, you know, come sell credit card processing, which I figured I would do for like two weeks. Right, sure. Well, I found a real job. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, here I am 11 years later. Right. Uh, and, you know, one of the things I, I did, like you, I realized very quickly, very early on that, you know, I'd get these statements that look like hieroglyphics. Oh, yeah. You know, and I'm like, what in the world is this thing? Um, and so, you know, w what really prompted me to want to create this tool is that I, because it's funny, people don't realize, I built a tool for myself initially. Uh -huh. And I, I personally coded. I did every line of code myself. I'm a computer programmer as well. Right. So I built the whole thing myself. Uh, don't worry, none of my code is left on our existing tool. So, you know, it's just it's curious, how long did that take? For me to build it myself, yeah, uh, I did it from. So you can ask Christine about this. Uh, my wife's really, she would tell you how brutal it was because I did it from. 10 o'clock at night, so after everybody went to bed. Right. I programmed from 10 at night to 1, 1 in the morning. Uh-huh. And I did that about three or four nights a week for six months. Wow. To wow. create the first one. And, uh, you know, and so, and I take great pride in the fact that every, all of the work that I did back then has now been replaced. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh -huh. Right. So anyway. But, but it served you well. It served me well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, the reason I created this because I ran into two problems um, with statement analysis. Problem number one was actually just getting the statement in the first place. Mm -hmm. which is like really hard and sure. it always seemed to mess up my sales process. I'd be like, Oh, I'm really connecting well with this person. Like it's going well. And then I'm like, Hey, can I take a look at your statement? And they're like, Oh no, we're not interested. You know and I'm like? Oh, what in the world? You know? Mm. So I kind of, that was a problem. And then the second challenge I had was like, once I got the statement, I didn't know what to do with it. Right. So I sent it into my statement analysis department. They sent me back an incomprehensible spreadsheet three days later. Uh which I went back to the merchant and tried my best to explain. Sure. So, you know, that those yeah. are really the two problems I was trying to solve was, number one, how can I do this without asking for the statement quite so soon? Right. And then number two, once I get the statement, how can I do something on the spot sure. without having to wait three days to close the deal? Yeah, because three days, I mean, the guy's going to forget you oh, in absolutely. three days. All about you, yes. Right, sure. Yeah. So, so okay, so you spent uh, six months building this tool. Right. And uh, what, were, what were the main uh, requirements? Sure, so... You know, the, the toughest part, and, and, you know, it's interesting because it took me about two of the six months to create the algorithm that could predict interchange. Hmm. That was really the challenge. Yeah, I bet. Uh, you know, then when I hired a, you know, really, really top-notch developer, lead developer to take on the, the challenge, and he redid the, the algorithm, it took him about four or five months. Wow. To, to redo it again and to make it, you know, and uh, he, it's funny. Is I that because of it was uh, of the quality, no offense, or was it because things just got more complex? It was the speed. Okay. So in order to, to make this calculation, we had to do about 30,000 calculations. Ooh. 
um, because we had that we have this huge database of statements, right? And so right. the idea was we had a, we had the data there, like all the individual interchange like line items from mm-hmm. a bunch of statements. Sure. But to build an approximate interchange table for a new merchant required us to like look at all those statements. All those statements, you sure. know. Right. And so what he did, he actually read. Uh, he went through like a linear algebra book. And uh, without giving too many of our trade secrets away, he found a very unique mathematical approach to this problem uh-huh. where he was able, when when it was finished with him, uh, it took about 1 uh the amount of time to run the algorithm as it did when I, the one I had. Huh. Huh. So wow. it was really speeding it up. Really? Um, yeah. You know, and of course, accuracy. And the other thing too is flexibility because originally mine, it wouldn't um, like if you know, it, it, we would like calculate. Okay, we think the interchange is like going to be five hundred sixty dollars. Okay, but if you put in no, it was actually six hundred ten. Uh-huh. Our algorithm couldn't go backwards and say, "Oh, okay, well, let me make a new interchange table oh, based on that." Oh, wow, yeah. Which the new one does. Sure. You know, sure. so now the new one, like we always have an accurate. So you're always table. learning from these new uh, tables. Yes. Right. And, what, and, and whatever information, right? Whatever, whatever data that we get from the, uh, uh, you know, from the statement, we just leverage that to make our algorithm more accurate. So I'm curious. So okay, you go into a merchant, right? With, with you know, you have your your laptop or your phone or phone whatever, or whatever right. right? You. Yeah, you and I'll, we'll get to in a minute how yeah. you get the statement. But let's say you know right. it's your buddy and he gives you the statement. Right. How long does that take? How long sure. does the process take? So you know our our key insight and and why I'm really excited about our new side by side feature and things like that. Mm-hmm. You know our key insight was that statement analysis for so long in our industry has been looked at as a single activity. Right. You know it's like statement analysis and it's just once and you it's, do it and it's right. over. With. You do it. It takes you know. 10 minutes, whatever, five minutes, depending on the statement. Um, what what our, our key insight is that that's not actually how it should happen. Okay. The way it should happen is you first have the, you know, basic information that you really need to do an accurate savings analysis. So okay. I actually start okay. I actually start by saying we don't do a statement analysis at first. We do that, mm-hmm. but our tool starts by doing a savings analysis. Which is a much better way to position it, too, don't you think? Of course. Yeah. Um, and the only thing you really need for a savings analysis is you need to know what their total current fees are, uh-huh. not the itemized. I don't need to know how you got there. Right. I just need to know your total fees, and I need to know what my total fees are, uh-huh. and then I can tell you how much I'm going to save you. Oh, very simple. Easy. Very you know, simple. Not it's not a full side by side, totally accurate, whatever. But it's like you but know, it gives you a good ballpark yeah. to say. Hey, Generally speaking, I can save you five hundred dollars a month or something right. like that. You right. want to have that number, mm-hmm. and and so that's the key because the key is you want to ask for a little bit of information, mm-hmm. and then you want to plug that into the tool, and then you want to go back and say, hey, check this out. Right. We can do this. Mm-hmm. You know. Now we're like, okay. Now what I'd like to do is let's see if we can make it a little bit more accurate. And perhaps a little better. And a little better. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, again, I mean, the merchant is not going to have total confidence in, a, in a, a proposal where, you know, for instance, like the, the car type summary report is, of course, not going to match exactly. Mm-hmm. Our algorithm is guessing how much of your volume was Visa, MasterCard, and Discover. Sure, sure. Whereas, of course, that's not going to be accurate to the penny. You right, know, So they right. may look at that and say, well, that doesn't match my statement. You know, right. So the idea is you start with that very basic estimate. Mm-hmm. Then what you do is instead of asking the merchant for the statement, which gets a no most of the time, right? Instead, you can ask them for information from the statement. Okay. So now you know, Patty, I've got here your you know estimated proposal. Now we're showing that probably about fourteen thousand seven hundred sixty dollars of your volume was Visa. Do you happen to know how much Visa you did last month? 
Mm, what okay. are you going to have to do? Going to have to go get that statement. Of course. And then you go get the statement. You bring that out. So you get the statement without asking for it because you're just asking for information. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. Do you guys accept Amex? Yeah, we do. Oh, really? How much Amex volume did you do last month? I want to put that in the tool to make sure it's accurate. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, you got to go get your statement. So you know, that was kind of the other big thing we found was like, okay, cool. Now we have an actual reason to have them go get their statement. Mm-hmm. Once they bring their statement out, now we're going to go... Uh, again, through two additional steps. So I go from my savings analysis. Right. Then I do my what we call merchant activity. So merchant activity is really simple. It, the greenest agent out there could adjust this. Merchant activity is just volume and, and uh, uh, number of transactions uh-huh. per card type. That's all it is. Okay. So, you know, right at the top of the statement, usually your card type summary report. Right. It shows your volume and your number of transactions for each card type. But not the, vo- not the dollar value. Uh, yeah, it's just a dollar value. Okay. You know, you okay. did... 15,000 in Visa, and that was 260 transactions. Okay, cool. So we have that form right at the top. You know, you click edit. So again, our algorithm already made a guess Mm -hmm. so that we're going to be in the ballpark. Sure. But now you just edit that, and you, you know, you make it exact to the penny. Uh Uh-huh. If you do that and save it, now you just made our interchange estimate a lot more accurate. Sure. Right? Because, of course, we have the right card types in there. So we're going to be a little bit closer. Um, And now you made the proposal look a lot better because the the numbers do actually match. Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. and, you know, again, you've got their total fees already. So now you've got a proposal that looks pretty good, mm-hmm. shows savings. Right. Right. And so it's still going to now it's going to be more accurate. It's going to look really good. So you can complete something like that on the spot in literally two minutes. Wow. There's not really much to that. OK. You know. OK. And a lot of what I found is a lot of merchants, especially if you're at like, uh, you know, 30, 40,000 a month and under merchant. That's a physical location merchant. Sure. They're fine with that. That's enough. Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. don't even need to do a side-by-side. But a side-by-side, I would imagine, can be very m- much more compelling, right? It can. You know, it can, and, it can, and sometimes it's not. It, mm-hmm. it can be more compelling. Sometimes it actually produces a lot of extra details that you have to negotiate. You know, mm-hmm. why is your... You know, they, they can't see all the details if you're just... You know, they don't see what their company currently charges versus what you charge. Sure, sure. They just know the overall total is that yours is better. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but certainly you're going to get those times where you're like, okay, now I need to do a full side-by-side. Right, right. right. So that's that final step. Now, the way we do that is very interesting because, again, to me, because I'm a, I'm a developer and I'm a salesperson, mm-hmm. I wanted to make something for the salespeople right. that was really, really good. So what we've done there is like then that last step is, okay, now we look in the tool. We know how much the interchange is. We know how much the dues and assessments are. We know all of the kind of known things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we're like, hey, Patty, you know, you still have like $300 in uncategorized fees here. I don't know what they are. Would, right. you, would you like to know what they are? All right, sure. Well, of course. Well, let me take a look at your statement, and I'll enter those in our, our system. Ah, so you've already gotten to that point. Right. Now it's almost like, right. oh, well, sure, have the statement. Sure, because yeah. now you've already given me the car type summary. Inf- and I have, I actually have the merchant read it to me, the car type summary uh-huh. stuff, because it's like I'm still not asking him for the statement. Right, 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 exactly. Have I don't want them to. Yeah. And then he says, oh, here, take it. I'm, I'm busy. Exactly. You take it. Exactly. Right? Yeah, yep. sure. So you can almost kind of leverage their frustration and their, like, time management to, like, mm-hmm. yeah, sure, just take the statement, you know, and then. Then at that point, you know, depending on the statement and your proficiency, mm-hmm. um, you know, for me, it takes me usually five minutes to do a full side-by-side analysis. Sure. Most people, it might take them 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, that they don't do that all day. I do, you know. Right, sure. Um, uh, so I'm the one that, you know, with our company, I get, like, second-level support. So any statements our team can't figure out, I get. So I get all right. the crazy ones, sure. you know. Sure, sure. Um, but, yeah, you know, so at, at that point, you know, now we have our, our new side-by-side where you can edit the existing fees. 
mm-hmm. and you just enter them in like a table view, and you get a side by side just like you're used to. And I'm looking at this uh, at, the, at at your screen right now, and it's I actually aesthetically, I have to tell you, I find it really pleasing. Oh, because thank you. You can I can look at this. For for those who aren't looking, obviously, right, right. <laughs> I can look at this and I see green numbers, and the green numbers tell me, oh, it's lower. Yeah, yep. exactly. And then the great thing is, you know, you can uh, you can add additional fees that are on the statement. And so the idea here is where you're going to go like line by line. Mm-hmm. Um, now the other thing about it, though, and this is really important to me, is that I didn't want to make it a all or nothing uh, thing. In other words. If you're like, well, the only way to complete a side-by-side is if you understand every single fee that you see on the statement. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's a bad idea. I think that, you know, in that case, every statement's going to have to go to the analysis department, just about. Yeah, yeah um, sure. I, I look at statements every day, and I'll, I, every day I see a fee that I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I have to do a little check, because they, they abbreviated it differently than everybody else. Than like, somebody else, sure. It, it, it still happens to me, and I've seen thousands of statements. So the, the key thing there is, you know, once you start doing the, the side-by-side and you put the existing fees in, mm-hmm. well, whatever you put in is going to make it more accurate. Right. You're still going to have some uncategorized fees. You may get done and say, well, there's still $37 in here. I don't know what it is. Right. Well, then fine. Just leave it. It's uncategorized. Right. Your quote is still accurate. 37 is a lot better than 400 Right. And, right. you know, and it's still, you know, once you put the basis points and the per item fees in, you know, mm-hmm. that's going to cover most of it anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now you've got that side-by-side that's accurate. Um, and then, of course, with our tool, if it, like an ISO is using it, right? you know, if it's really a big statement, I just did one this morning that was 193000 the one you're looking at here, 193000 a month in volume, uh-huh. um, you know, this is one where you might need to escalate it to your manager or whatever. If you're a statement analysis sure. department, sure. this thing is like so awesome because if you're statement analysis, this is going to take a lot of the work off of your shoulders, mm-hmm. but it's still going to be, okay, the, the agent can still send it and say, hey. I, I entered most of this thing. I cannot figure out. I'm still off by 60 bucks. What's the deal? Right. Well, statement analysis now can just l- impersonate that user. They go in as an admin. They look at it and go, oh, here's the problem. They change it and it's yeah. done. And that takes five minutes versus if you had right. to send it in, you know, from the beginning. Exactly. And it might take three or four days, right? right? And a lot of times even managers like, you know, managers and, and you know, uh, recruiters and stuff, they end up doing a lot of statement analysis. Yeah, I bet. For the new agents. And it's sure. so annoying. You know, it's like, oh, again, a lot of times they don't even need to. The agent could just use the tool, do a quick analysis, and and it's fine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then other times, you know, they can get most of it enough to where it's accurate. It's just not line by line because they didn't understand all the fees. Sure. And then they can send it in, but then it's like, okay, at least the manager doesn't have to go in and key in the volume and transactions of each car type. Right, right. Like, that takes a while. You know, it's easier for them to just take a quick glance at the statement, look at the side by side, and go, hey, here's where you missed it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very yeah. cool. Very cool. So this uh, newest version is it? Uh, this is this is now live. It is right? live. It is live. Yeah. So we've got uh, we've got this live on uh, the individual uh-huh. tool, and then of course we also have our ISO version as well. Um, they're they're like totally separate. Actually, we have a we we. Have, uh, so you're a, saying you license it to the ISOs as well as to the individual at the individual correct. agent level. Okay. Correct. Yeah. So we have different programs for the ISOs than we do the individual because about a year, maybe it wasn't a year ago, maybe it was eight or nine months ago, we actually did totally split the solutions apart. So we have our individual side and uh-huh. then we have our ISO side. Okay. Um, and, you know, we just found that was a lot more convenient because there's a lot of things the ISOs need as far as admin, you know, user group management. Sure. Uh, all of that that the individual user doesn't need any of that stuff. And you know. just I'm just curious, do you yeah. find that you have more um, 
you know, more interest from the ISO level, the ISO acquirer level, or the agent level? You know, it's funny. I mean, we get a lot more interest from the individual level, and we make a lot more money from the ISO. Of course. Uh, obviously. Because sure. when you get an sure. ISO, you get, you know, a lot more users mm -hmm. uh, and things like that, a lot more user fees and stuff. Um, but, you know, it's funny. It, it really is starting to, I would say, I would say in the last three months, it's starting to shift because, you know, and it's funny, in business, you always, you know, you're a success in business when you make mistakes and then you pivot. Right. I think our biggest mistake early on was I was trying to position it as, you know, this is the tool that replaces statement analysis. You know, you don't need to do statement analysis anymore. Right. It, right. You know, it's the instant quote to a well. The problem with that was, you know, everybody still wanted to do statement analysis. Mm -hmm. You well, know, isn't it? It's kind of like part of the process. It you is. Know? And it's, it's like it's like the last step. And I was kind of like, just don't worry about the last step. Right. But a lot of people are like, no, no, no. I'm selling bigger merchants. Like they want to see this full side by side. Sure. So now it's like, okay, now we're repositioning it as we have the leading statement analysis tool in the industry. I have no doubt that we have many, many times more users than anybody else. Mm -hmm. We have the leading statement analysis tool in the industry with thousands of users that are using it every day. Mm -hmm. um, and by the way, it has this really cool feature that does this instant estimate, estimated quote. Right, right. Because that's the thing. We get people that would use it one time and they'd be like, oh, it doesn't work. You know, it wasn't accurate. And it's like, well... Okay, it's statistics. I mean, yeah, you you picked a random business type that we don't really support or right, whatever. Or we don't have the the background information right. on. Yeah. And now I'm like, well, if that happens, just get the statement and just do a side by side. I mean, you can do, you know, you can it does a statement analysis just like you would want to do on an Excel spreadsheet. It's just it's mobile friendly. You can email the prospect the information, you know, all that. Well, especially so. the fact that it's mobile friendly. I mean, right. that's so critically important. It is. It is. You you've got to be able to do stuff on your tablet and on your phone. Um, and the other thing, too, that I'm really excited about, actually, uh, I wasn't going to bring this up today. I just forgot about it. But we actually also just rolled out, uh, if you go to developer.isoquote.com, uh -huh. uh, that is the new developer portal. Oh, okay. So, like, I'll give you an example. Like, we have ISOs that have built into it uh, a button. So, we have a button you can put on the top of the proposal that says start application. Okay. And then what it'll do is it'll just send all of the pricing data. Uh -huh. over to a an endpoint, and the developers can map that into DocuSign or whatever online app they want to oh, use. very cool. So if you have, like, a new agent, you know, mm -hmm. they're like, man, I don't know anything about this pricing stuff. You don't have to. Just, you know, use the tool, get it to where you want it, and then start the application, and it maps everything over to the right fields. Oh, that's sweet. That's yeah. very sweet. Yeah. So this is cool. This is good stuff, James. What do you, uh, so, so if anybody who doesn't use the Instant right. Quote tool yet uh, would, sure. would like to learn some more about it, Sure. Well, I would say I'd send them to two places. So if you're an individual agent and you want to get your uh, you know, 30-day trial, we have a 30-day trial on the tool. For oh, free. nice. Nice. Uh, just head over to instantquotetool.com. Okay. Uh, instantquotetool.com. If you are an ISO and you're interested in it, uh, just go ahead and shoot me an email. Okay. James at ccsalespro.com. Uh, James at ccsalespro.com. I usually do an introduction call, demo, kind of uh -huh. find out what you're looking for because, you know, obviously we have all the other, we do like training and consulting and so many other things. So usually we put those packages together custom. Just so. a, just curious also, yeah. and I meant I should have asked this a moment ago. Yeah. So when you sell, when you license it to the ISO, does that get, do they private label that or? It is 100% uh, labeled branded for them. Okay. It even goes on a custom domain. Uh-huh. So we don't do it at like, like I've seen other solutions, not to bash anybody else, but you know, I'm, I'm a competitor, right? So, sure. um, but a lot of them have uh, subdomain stuff. Right. So right. you're going, you know, in our case, we have isoquote.com. So it'd be like, you know, xyzcompany.isoquote.com. Right, right. Well, you can say that that's branded but it's really not no. because the agent can see that you know there's another domain so with us we actually 
work with the ISO to do one of two things. Either we get them a custom domain like xyzprocessingquote.com, mm-hmm. or we can do it as a subdomain on their domain, ah, okay. quote.xyzprocessing.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we can set it up on their domain or on a, a custom one. Um, and so then we do that. Then uh, you know the logo is, is you know their logo, their color scheme. Right. Um, and then kind of the final step in that iteration or that process for us is that we also completed our uh, proposal template uh, thing. So the way the proposal templates work is that, you know, why, basically what we found was this working with ISOs. Mm-hmm. Every time we'd get a new ISO and they would get to the final screen that shows like the information. Right. Everybody wanted one thing changed. Oh, yeah. You oh, know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So sure. we're like, what do we do? Do we like create a different one every time or whatever? So where we ended up with it is now our proposal templates are literally we just use merge tags okay. and HTML code. And uh-huh, uh-huh. so if the ISO has developers, they can build literally anything they want. I mean, like if they want their quote to include images of Clover with uh, right. whatever. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, especially or, you know, like, you know, mom and pop shop. You know, right, whatever. whatever they want. Um, or they can just have us do it. And uh, we have developers, like we have junior developers that that's what they work on. Okay. Um, and so they'll they'll build, like Micah, I think he's over there right now. But anyway, they, they'll build these, you know, uh, custom proposal templates for basically whatever they want, however they want to promote it uh, with their images and all kinds of custom stuff on it. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by Greensheet.com a premier resource for the electronic payments industry. The Green Sheet has been on the beat since 1983, always focused on boosting the feet on the street in our evolving sphere. Hey everybody, this is uh, the second part of a two-part series I began last week on negotiating contracts uh, with upstream partners like processors. So last week I described seven potential gotchas that small ISOs and merchant level salespeople should avoid or at least keep a lookout for when negotiating contracts. And they were uh, exclusivity clauses, non-solicitation clauses, residual stream ownership and verifiability, limited liability and indemnities, responsibility for setting and or changing fees, responsibility for merchant fraud and data breaches, and termination provisions. Yeah. Now this week I want to delve a little bit deeper into that, those termination scenarios. Indeed. Or as uh, as as we've called it, as we often call it, exit plans. Yep. You know, James, you and I have discussed this uh, offline a few times. You know, having an exit strategy. You know, understanding uh, what becomes of your, your residual streams uh, should you become incapacitated or decide to retire. And the bottom line I've taken away from those conversations is that aging contracts should provide for the agent to receive residuals as long as merchants they sign are generating residuals, right? Yeah, because, I mean, that that's crucial for whether you want to sell your portfolio or not. Right, right. If you don't have that, you can't sell your portfolio because mm-hmm. you don't own it. You don't own it. Yeah. You know, and a variation on this theme raises the question of what if an agent or ISO decides to sell the portfolio? Right. You know, some upstream ISOs and processors may want the right of first refusal. And this can be good, but it uh, certainly um, may be easier to shop around, you know, yeah. Shop your portfolio around. Sure. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it, and it may not, you know, it may not be the best available deal. So a couple of the attorneys I spoke with, um, you know, advised instead that uh, the selling entity offer the upstream partner right of first bid. Hmm, that's interesting. Isn't that an interesting yeah. concept? Yeah. 
You know what is funny though? I I wouldn't uh, say I would disagree with that, but I will say that as a general rule, if the pro- if your cut your processor your ISO if they are willing to do the buyout at the same multiple and terms right. as the other third party. You're almost you're always going to do it that way because it's just easier. It's, it's going to go easier. so much faster. Of course. Otherwise, you got to deal with the whole assignment contract mm-hmm. where the you know we had Cutter Financial, we had the Nissan here a right. while back. Right. Because then you have to deal with the assignment agreement of like, okay, now you know you have to the, basically you got to get your ISO to sign an agreement with whoever's buying the portfolio that they're going to pay them, mm-hmm. and it just ends up being a big mess. Yeah. Yeah. So not not saying it's a bad thing. It's like still. You definitely want to shop it around, and a lot of times, the truth is, a lot of times those third-party companies like Cutter will right. actually give you a better, better deal, deal than your company. Right. But you know, if your company's willing to match it, you know, and I think even Denise said when she was on here that in those cases they just bow out. They just bow out. Exactly. Yeah. You know, but you know, the bottom line here, I guess, is you know, it's in your best interest to get the best offer of for course. your book of business, Absolutely. right? Okay. A third scenario I'd like to touch on involves forced exits and um, ownership of residuals. Yeah. You know, I've heard many horror stories, and I'm sure you have too, James, of small ISOs and agents shocked to learn that their upstream ISO or processor actually owned their residual streams. Um, and they often um, only discover this when the upstream partner sells a portfolio. Sure. You know, some, sure. sometimes these downstream agents uh, get paid a set multiple of their monthly residual, you know, a cut of what uh, the, the seller took in. Other times they get nothing at all. Yeah, and those are the ones that you know. Really, you, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, variation on this theme might be that uh, the business is sold to an ISO or processor that the agent is dead set against working with. You know, because of bad sure. past experiences, for example. Sure. So the bottom line here is, if an upstream partner wants to sell its business to a larger ISO or processor, an ISO or agent who signed merchants for that ISO processor should have an opportunity to sell their book along with that deal and get paid for it or to continue signing merchants on behalf of the new processor. Right. You they, know, should have, they should have their options open to them. One thing I will, right. I will mention here, too, this is one of the other issues with um, exclusivity clauses. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is one of the reasons why if you're going to sign exclusivity, you should try to at the very least get something in there that says if you sell your company to another entity, that terminates my exclusivity. Yeah. Because, you know, the the way people talk about exclusivity is, hey, you know me, you trust me, mm-hmm. why would you want to sell for anybody else, right? Well, well that's fine, but what if you get hit by a bus? Mm-hmm. And your wife, who owns the company now, sells to somebody I hate. Right. So I think those are those are situations that do come up a lot. Yeah, you know, I think the decision really has to be, I mean, I think the key is the decision really should be in the hands of the person who signs the merchant, you know, whenever possible at least. Right, and I think, too, the other thing, like you mentioned, you know, what you talked about there was like pre-negotiated multiples. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I've seen that a lot. I've actually seen it even a lot more um, lately. Two things I want to mention about that. Number one, that is one of the key pitfalls in these, um, you know, I've talked to individual agents that are getting residual splits that are ridiculously high. Uh-huh. And they're, it's like a too-good-to-be-true residual split. And it usually is too good to be true, yeah. right? And the reason is because they'll have something in there that literally says, at any time, we can buy your portfolio back for this multiple, right. which is a bad multiple. Right. So it's really like you're getting a lower split. It's just you're getting it for a little while, and then they're buying it at a really good bargain deal. Right. So, you know, that's that's one of the pitfalls that I've seen, um, you know. And, and the other thing, you just got to be careful because... You know, like you've said, you just want to make sure you have the the decision is in your court of what right. to do with your portfolio. 
if you're going to pre-negotiate, shop around, call some different places, mm-hmm. um, you know, see where it's at, you know, and if you're going to pre-negotiate a multiple, I mean, that's not the end of the world, especially if you are joining a company that you already know is looking to exit. Mm-hmm. It's not a bad thing to pre-negotiate your multiple, but shop around a little bit and, and even put conditionals. Like one of my big, this is probably if I my one big takeaway of negotiating that I'm all about okay. is conditionals, meaning don't just say I'm going to negotiate this multiple. Go in and say, I tell you what, let's negotiate this multiple as our baseline. Mm-hmm. If I can hit 10000 a month in residual before you sell it, let's do this multiple. Right. If I can get to 15000 20000 give yourself, give yourself some, benchmarks, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Because the thing is, usually the, the whoever is more far-sighted is the one that makes more money. Of course. So you're, you know, the person you're negotiating with, they're probably thinking, oh, this person's never going to do 5000 a month or 10000 right. a month or whatever, right. and you know that you could. So if you put those in there, usually you can hit those numbers and make a lot more money. Yeah, and it's just a matter of being realistic about right. what, of what course. you know you can do. Yep. Yep. Good cool. stuff. Wow, I like it. That's awesome. I mean, the exit strategies are... Oh, they're just so crucial. And I'm proud to say I've exited, I don't know how many times now, I think three times I've had three like major exits where I built up a portfolio and Uh sold it. Uh Uh-huh. And I don't regret any of them. They were all, they were, it was all a lot of fun the next day when I got my big deposit in the bank account. I bet. You know, uh, was it uh, two, two summers ago we were at Disney World and uh, I was literally completing a buyout. Uh, I was at this Disney resort. When you were Goofy? When you, and Goofy, you were visiting Goofy. <laughs> I was visiting Goofy. Now, I'm in the resort, and I'm literally running down back upstairs and downstairs to the lobby to get the fax machine. Oh, wow. Because I, I didn't have a scanner. And, and uh, I, I thought it was Lobster gonna... dinner that night? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then it's like the next morning, we wake up in Disney World, and I show my wife our account, and we're like, you know, life is really good. Oh, you know, this is exciting. Yes. Oh, so yes. So I, I think it's great. I think, it, I think buyouts get a bad rap. I mean... There are risks that you can't, uh, you know, put into the equation. I mean, hanging on to a big portfolio is great. I think it's a great thing. It's exciting. But if you have partners that, you know, for whatever reason you want to separate from mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. you want to get capital to build the next phase of your business. Like for me, I wanted to hire the developer. What We talked right. about earlier on the episode and right. I wanted to beef up this business because I knew it could be super profitable. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think there, there are good reasons for it. And I think when you do that, you got to do it right. Uh, you know, reach out to people like us to find out, hey, right. what would you recommend, you know? Right. And, uh, but yeah, exit strategies are key. And, and again, the key to an exit strategy is thinking about it when you enter. Right. Make sure that you plan ahead. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by InstantQuoteTool.com. With over 30 training courses covering everything from sales objections to statement analysis, ISOs are using our learning management system to help new agents understand the industry and how to sell merchant services. Industry veterans love our courses because we dive deeper into concepts such as interchange and explore new industry trends like cash discounting, NFC, and the resurgence of American Express with the OptBlue program. Put all of these training courses together with the leading proposal creation tool for merchant services agents in the field and we believe our branded ISO solution and individual user package is a must-have. Visit instantquotetool.com today or email support at instantquotetool.com to learn more. Well, Patty, I think it is fitting that I end my uh, mini-series on uh, you know cost structures with cash discounting. Perfect ending. The, the hot topic of the, hottest the, the topic last out year. There, right? Yeah. So last week we talked about surcharging. The week before we talked about generally this concept of passing the cost on to the consumer. Right. 
So today I want to talk about cash discounting. Um, you know, what's the kind of the current state of it? How does the cost structure work? So let's start by talking about what it is and how it works, uh, which is actually very, very simple. Um, how it works and what it is is that you're basically charging the merchant a lower price when they pay with cash and a higher price when they don't pay with cash. Charging the consumer a, large, a lower price. What did I say? Did you I said, said the merchant. merchant? Oh, <laughs> glad you caught that. <laughs> charging the – Sandy, did you hear when I shoot my videos? I actually did that not too long ago, and right. I had to reshoot it. So, uh, Yeah, so when you're charging the consumer a lower price when they pay with cash and a higher price when they pay uh, with something other than cash. Mm -hmm. Now, the big difference, of course, between cash discounting and surcharging as far as just for all intents and purposes is that – with cash discounting, you're charging them a higher price even when they pay with signature debit right. or PIN debit mm -hmm. uh, in some cases, some cases not. Or prepaid debit. Or prepaid debit, right? So that's a big difference because in the U.S., uh, Visa has these laws. They originally had a ban on surcharging completely, completely, which they saw the writing on the wall when they were losing court cases left and right. Mm -hmm. So they said, no, no, we won't have a ban on surcharging, but we'll just have a ban on surcharging signature debit. Right now, as you know, I'm a believer that in five years that ban will not exist anymore. It's totally unconstitutional, as my personal opinion goes. I think you're right. Uh, so I think you know it's funny because everybody's like cash discounting or surcharging. Well, to me, I'm like whatever. They're both going to be the same in 36 to 60 months anyway. Mm -hmm. So, um, but you know, for now they are different. And I mean, the cash discounting. The idea here is that you're adding this, you know, service fee or non-cash adjustment to everything. Right. Now, what I want to do is simplicity today, is the real key there. To, correct. In my mind. Yes. Yeah. So I'm going to do the same thing as I did last week of surcharging, where I'm going to talk about compliance, and then I'm going to talk about pricing and talk about residuals. Okay. So I want to talk about compliance first, because this is where it's a big gray area. So when you're one of the big differences here is when we talk about surcharging, it's like very cut and dry. Mm -hmm. Here are the states you can do it. Here are the laws that dictate it. Here are the seven rules of Visa and MasterCard about it. You know, it's very like, this is what it is. Right. Cash discounting, definitely not so. Mm -hmm. um, there are mainly three schools of thought on compliance when it comes to cash discounting, okay? The school of thought number one, which is the one that Visa has, you know, adopted in some way. They haven't really enforced it very much, but what they've adopted in their memo and things is that a true cash discount only exists when you have a posted regular price, mm -hmm. and then you are discounting that regular price down to the cash price. Right, kind of like the the way um, fuel stations. Fuel stations, yes. right? Yeah. Uh, also, the way that, uh, ironically, that New York has implemented surcharging. Surcharging, right? So that's one you know, school of thought on this. You know, the merchant can just raise their price and then they can offer a discount when someone pays with cash. Right. And, you know, everything's good. That's a true uh, cash discount. Now, a couple problems with that. Obviously, that's not really very practical, especially for a retail establishment, for them to have two different prices or for them to raise all their prices. Like, if you're charging, you know, $6.95, you don't really want to raise it to seven twenty-four. No, of course not. You know, you want to you have the good price. So... Uh, from a compliance perspective, you know, you have true cash discounting. The next step of it is you have the idea of the non-cash adjustment or incentive. Mm -hmm. So this came from the Durban Amendment. And the Durban Amendment says that, uh, you know, I don't know, the, I don't have looking at the exact language and I'm not an attorney. This is not legal but advice. But basically it says that you cannot, uh, that, that you can incentivize somebody to pay with another form of right. payment. Right. And it says it calls it an in-kind incentive. Right. Uh, unfortunately, it does not define what an in-kind incentive is, mm -hmm. but it leaves it open to interpretation. And I think most people in the industry have interpreted that as we can incentivize people to pay with cash by adding a non-cash adjustment or some kind of a right. non-cash fee 
to all non-cash transactions, and that is an in-kind incentive uh, as protected under federal law being the Durbin Amendment. Right. So that's that's like the middle ground. Mm-hmm. Um, now, one thing I've noticed is that several of these companies that are doing it this way, I've seen a trend where I've seen several of them now where they're not applying the non-cash adjustment to PIN debit, only to signature debit. Oh, really? So it's kind of interesting. It's kind of a very much a middle road. They're giving the consumer the opportunity to pay with PIN debit, same as cash. Um, so it's interesting, but they're still doing the non-cash adjustment on all signature debit and credit. So, but they're still paying. I mean, the merchant's still paying the 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 Durban regulated fee. Correct. Well, no, no. Uh, well, yeah, but in that case, the merchant will be paying the flat rate. Okay. You know, because they're just doing that. You know, that way. So. Okay. Uh, so it's an interesting concept for sure. Um, and I've seen that. That's kind of the middle road. And then the third one is just basically the one that. Originally, everybody was doing, and now there's still probably a majority, which is, excuse me, they're probably saying at this point, you know, well, we don't really care. We're just going to add a service fee onto everything and mm-hmm. just hope that it all works out. Yeah, right. So that's what uh, that's what you're seeing a lot of people do right now is, you know, they're just adding a service fee to every transaction, doing a daily discount to get the money back, and they're putting a sign up that says some convoluted message that doesn't make any sense. Right. And that's generally what they're doing. So. Uh, my main point today that I wanted to, to make as far as compliance is that I do see a shift in the industry away from that model. Yeah. I would advise really to get away from that if you can. Again, I'm not saying not to do the, the add-on fee. I'm just saying you probably want to structure it as an in-kind incentive so at least you have some kind of ground to stand on because mm-hmm. you can't say the Durban Amendment allows you to do cash discounting with the service fee because if you look at it, it specifically defines a cash discount as something discounted from the regular price. Right. And it specifically says you can't add anything to the regular price. Right. So, you know, you can't really say cash discount. It's really more of a, 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 an in-kind incentive as, again, protected by the Durban Amendment. But the language there actually matters, and you want to have a, a leg to stand on. Uh, the same thing with the signs that you put up. You know, the sign should say, you know, uh, any time, you know, any, any you know, payment uh, made not with cash, uh, we apply a non-cash adjustment. This is in, to incentivize our customers to pay with cash uh, as, you know, per the Durban Amendment and in-kind incentive. You know, something along those lines so that you have some legal uh, footing to stand on. So that's my opinion of compliance right now. Mm-hmm. Still a big gray area. Who knows where it'll all shake out? Uh, my personal opinion, as you know, is it'll all end up being surcharging eventually. That doesn't mean I think you should do surcharging now. But it will all eventually be surcharging, but it'll all be that once you can surcharge debit. Every place. And also yeah. once you can surcharge every place. Right. It has to be all 50-state strategy for sure. Right. Yeah. Right. So um, so that's kind of where that's going. Um, then let's talk about the pricing. So the pricing, very similar to surcharging, except that it's so much simpler. Mm-hmm. So all you do is you have your flat rate. Right. That you're going to, you know, so you're going to charge the merchant, you know, your flat rate. You're going to have your non-cash adjustment. So let's say you have a non-cash adjustment of 3.5%. So $100 transaction is now going to be 103.50. Then you're going to take your percentage. You're going to do a flat rate fee on everything mm-hmm. of you know 3.8. Or I'm sorry, not 3.1. I was saying 3.83. I think I said that last week actually. That you know it actually would be less. Yeah. So it's 3.5. It'd be like 3.36 or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. So you have that flat rate. Then you have your daily discount rate, which is pulling that money out and holding it in, in uh, you know, holding it in reserve. Right. Um, and that is really it. There's not much to it. The only ones you got to be careful about with this is your really small ticket merchants. Yeah, small ticket you got to be careful. Um, you could do the the non cash adjustment as a per item fee. Mm-hmm. I know several software vendors that offer that. Right. That will protect you. Maybe it's a forty nine cent you know uh, non cash adjustment. But if they have an average ticket below fifteen dollars, you really got to be careful because you could be underwater with that four percent flat rate. 
Yeah, and again, I think we, we talked about this with surcharging as well. It's like, you know, it's not necessarily going to work at a coffee shop. Exactly, exactly. Right. And I mean, you know, the good news is, you you know, I'll give you an example. One thing that's interesting, you can actually still do this in a coffee shop if you explain it to the merchant correctly because what you could do is two things, either the per item or what you can do is say, hey, we're going to do a 3.99% non-cash adjustment for you, uh-huh. but we're not going to put you on flat rate pricing. You're still going to be on interchange plus 100 basis points or 80 basis points or whatever. Right. So we're not going to save you 90%, but we're going to save you 60%. Mm-hmm. So you can do these cash discount type or non-cash adjustment type programs. And, um, you know, you can do that on a small ticket. You just got to be careful because you got to learn that there's there's two separate things here. There's what the, there's the service fee you're collecting from the consumer. Right. And then there's what you're charging the merchant. Right. Usually in most cases, those two match up because you need to make sure that what you're charging the consumer is not greater than what, what the merchant charging. is paying. Right. 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 So but in this case, when it's it's actually the opposite problem, in this case, you can't charge the consumer more than four percent. Right. If you're going by surcharge rules, which is what most people do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so but the merchant is actually paying, you know, five and a half, six percent. So that's OK. Just keep charging them five and a half, six percent, whatever it is, interchange plus pricing, whatever. But you're still adding that fee on and doing the daily discount mm-hmm. to collect the four percent. Right. And then that's offsetting, you know. 50, 60, 70% of their fees. Sure, sure. So that's something I think a lot of people haven't done that I think is a big missed opportunity because, ironically, a lot of the really small ticket places don't mind having that 4% service fee. They really don't. They'd be happy to save 60, 70% of their credit card processing, sure, even sure. though it's not 100%. You know, 100% but a lot of them don't want to do the per item because they realize 49 cents is a lot when you're buying a cup of coffee. Right, right. So that's an area that I think is kind of an untapped um, opportunity. So. Hmm. Compliance, pricing, super simple, adding the the non-cash adjustment or if you're doing the old way service fee or whatever, um, you know, so you have that. Then you're collecting the money with your daily discount, which is all offsetting in the end. And so you're usually saving the merchant, you know, 90, 95, 100 percent on their credit card processing. Um, the last thing I want to talk about is compensation and residual. So a couple things about cash discounting that are very profitable. Um, first of all, usually uh, the companies that do this, a lot of them are selling new equipment to do this. Right. Whether that's on a lease as a regular terminal or it's a particular POS system that offers cash discount. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, a lot of the terminals do. I mean, even Clover added their apps back in. Uh, oh, they, did they? Yeah, they did. They okay. added it back in about a week after they, you know, yeah, took after them they out. pulled them. Yeah. Yeah. So they got overwhelming uh, response there. But uh, you know, you, you've got opportunities like that uh, where you can do, you know, Clover, uh, Mint is a good one we've talked about in the past. Uh, you know, and there's many, many others that offer the cash discount. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, you have programs like that that are really nice. And so, you can usually make some money up front. And then on the residual, I mean, your average markup on these accounts usually you're looking at something like 140 basis points of markup. Okay. So you can make a ton of money off of these accounts. Yeah. You really yeah. can because it's basically like you're just pricing the merchant at 3.99% flat rate, which is exactly what you're doing. Right. So, you know, you might have a merchant, their current effective rate is 2.8% and you're taking them to 3.99 and there was already 40 basis points of markup in the 2.8. In the first place, right. So, you know, you can see how it can get it can get good. I, I would advise you to be careful. Don't get too greedy. Um. You know, you got to think about it. I mean, there are additional costs, and and there's a new program, so there, we're all capitalists here. I mean, there's nothing wrong with making a profit. Right. You know, I, I tell agents all the time, I'm like, look, you know, why do you feel bad? You're making 1.5 percent on this account. The yeah. banks are the banks are making 1.7 percent on interchange, and they're doing nothing. Right. So I don't feel bad making a profit, but I think you still got to be aware of the of the market in general. And mm-hmm. I think as people, you know, some people are going to go out there and try to compete. You know, it's only a matter of time. 
you know, before there's a lot, like you mentioned in Florida, there's mm-hmm. a lot of cash discounting down there. Right. Well, there's only a matter of time until some companies come in and say, well, we do cash discount, but we do two nine nine, right. and we save your consumers money. Yeah, the, the, the race to the bottom. The race to the bottom always happens. And yeah. I mean, in this case, the merchants are not as motivated because they're not the one paying it. Right. So I think it's going to be a little while until we have that race to the bottom, hopefully. Hopefully. Um, and hopefully by then the pressure will be on the banks to lower interchange because um, of the consumers. Well, I think in that, you know, the consumer thing, too, is interesting. And I saw a, a blurb on Facebook or some social yeah. media platform recently where somebody was just balking, like, I can't believe they charged me to use my credit card. Well, right. they didn't. They offered you a discount for using right. cash. Right. But there's that consumer, yeah. you know, there's always going to be somebody out there who's going to scream yeah. bloody murder. And so right. in, in terms of also getting greedy, you know, I mean, there's that 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 has to play into that it as does well. absolutely the consumers yeah. are going to play a part i mean you know the big question there i think is you know are consumers going to be less upset about 2.99 percent versus 3.99 percent i don't know i don't really think it's going to make that big i don't of a think difference. that's going to make big of a difference to them but yeah. but the idea that they're being charged might make that, a difference yeah. to some. and i think the big thing there is i you know my advice to you would be over the next year to two years, you are going to start seeing more and more news articles. I read one oh, yeah. uh, recently that was very derogatory about it. Mm-hmm. You know, don't let that freak you out. I mean, th- that's that's inevitable and necessary because— Well, yeah, and it also, I think, speaks to the cost of card acceptance, right? Yeah, right. And, and that's really going to play to our advantage or, you know, in the long run because we all know that, right. the, that the card brands are, you know— Right, interchange is ridiculous it's relative ridiculous. to the rest of the world. Yeah, it just in the U.S. interchange is just it's crazy. crazy. So hopefully, you know, the pressure will be put on, and you know, it's a high stakes ga- gamble. I mean, it always is, but I think there's enough court precedent at this point where, you know, the the courts. I think the courts are largely looking at this issue as an issue that can be dealt with in the free market. Mm-hmm. And you know, hey, if people don't like that, they'll go to another place exactly. that doesn't have that service fee, and so. You know, yeah. So we'll see how it plays out. It'll be interesting. And it's also, you know, just being open to, you know, bringing new ideas and new possibilities right. to your merchants. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You got you to be talking about it. Your merchant should definitely know that you're aware of this concept. Right. And that you because so- if you don't talk to them about it, somebody will. Somebody else is going to come in and do it. Yeah. So the key thing is don't get rattled. You're going to see news articles come out and, you know, issues and, and you know, people upset and things like that. You'll have a few merchants that will switch back over. They don't want to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but by and large, this is this concept is in the U.S. to stay, in my opinion, and I think uh, I think long term you're going to see shifts and changes as it becomes more mainstream. Right, and some of that's going to be a little scary from your perspective and from your merchant's perspective. And so you just got to keep your merchants calm and say, "Hey, look, you know, if it's a business, I mean, if you start running into problems, we'll make a change." Right, but just because somebody writes a news article because they had to pay the the service fee at your place or somebody mm-hmm. else's place doesn't mean that it, that warrants you, you know, throwing away ten thousand dollars a year. Well, you know, I had an interesting conversation just last week with somebody who um, is an ATM ISO. Right. And he sells merchant accounts. Right. And he's like, I love cash. Right. You know, I'm selling ca- I'm making a fortune on cash discounting. Right. And, and pushing them to the ATM machine. Pushing them to the ATM machine. Yeah, absolutely. So there you go. So I really enjoyed doing the mini series. Covered all the major cost structures. Hopefully got some good uh, information out of that. And uh, there you go. That's cash discounting. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. 
The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production from greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. We hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.